If you have your Bibles, would you hold them up this morning? Sometimes we're gonna do that. I'm gonna ask you if you have your Bibles, and if you hold them up, say the word amen with me. Amen. All right, take them and turn to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi, chapter three today. The title of the message is Generosity, God, and You. Generosity, God, and You. The book of Malachi is a message that really speaks to those that have grown weary serving God, grown weary following God, grown weary worshiping God. It's a message of a group of people who have, have lost their fervor, lost their fire. And the entirety of the book talks about different ways that God calls us back to him. And in Malachi chapter three, it extends on into the calling to return to him with our possessions and our generosity and our giving. Let's stand together as we read these verses, beginning in verse seven, where you'll see the theme of the whole book in that verse seven, and you'll see the continuing admonition today. And today, this is gonna be a great and fun message. I have to tell you today, I'm preaching from two podiums on purpose. This is a two-pulpit message. Now, when you see two pulpits, it means it's gonna be double good. It may mean it's double long. No, not really, not really, it's not double long but it's gonna have double truths for you today. There's two things I want you to get out of this message today, and I want you to see this in the text that I read. I want you to see what God asks from you, but I also want you to see in this text what God has for you. What God asks from you is often all we see in this text, but today I'm asking you to look deeper to see what God has for you. Okay, so let's read the text. Here it is in verse seven. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Those three words are the theme of the entire book. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then the answer in verse eight, will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And again, the answer in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us, have so much for us. And Lord, you give us statues, you give us principles, you give us ways to walk. And Father, when we ask the question, how can we return to you? Part of that return is not only with our hearts and our minds, but it's also with our time, our talent, our treasure. Help us to return to you if we've strayed. Help us to always have a heart and a passion for following you completely. I ask that you move in a powerful way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated if you would. So before I share what I want from you today in the way of understanding biblical text, I, I want to share what I want for you. I want for you to understand how God works in your finances and your job and with the material things he's blessed you with. I want for you to know what it means to have a spirit of generosity, to be able to smile and laugh and enjoy giving to God. I want for you 
that you can see God work supernaturally in providing for you. And God often does that, where we recognize that some blessing we have or some way of providing comes without our predicting how it would come. It comes beyond a job recognition or a job paycheck. It comes beyond family or friends. And it's really amazing to see God work like that in supernatural ways. I want that for you. For you, I want you to not only know what it means to walk with God with your prayer life and with your witness and in your marriage or other relationships. I, I want you to know not only what it means to walk with God when you worship and feel his presence, but I want you to know what it feels like, what it is like for you to recognize God's working in your finances as well. That's a big part of who we are. Our work, our worship ought not to be separated, ought to be blended. And everything that we do and everything that we are needs to have the presence of God. So I want all those things for you. And I believe that's what the intent of Scripture is here in Malachi chapter 3. God is saying, I don't want you to miss out on all I can bless you with and all I want to see go on and happen in your life. And so God gives us some principles here that help us know how to do that. So this message has two basic points. Two different pulpits we're going to use in two different ways in just a few moments. But first of all, for a few minutes, look at this text with the idea of what God wants for us. What God wants for us. There are four things I'm going to share with you from this text that God wants for us. First of all, he wants us to experience his presence. His presence. Return to me, it says in verse 7, and I will return to you. I hate being far from God in anything. I hate being far from God. And yet there are times in our lives when we have either turned our back on God or we have disobeyed God in some way or in some ways we've grown cold of heart, maybe too busy or too involved with other things and we're far, far from God and that's where Israel was at that particular time. So the whole book of Malachi deals with all the various ways and here he zeroes in on this aspect of giving. What God wants for you is to experience his presence in your finances, in your checkbook, in how you deal with things, in your material things that you have. And there's an invitation running all the way through the Bible of this invitation from God to come and walk with him. It began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve uh, were separated from God because of sin and God comes and finds them and clothes them and says, come and walk with me again. You find it in Isaiah chapter one where, where we find that God is calling through the prophet Israel, to come and reason among yourselves and come, let us reason together. I love Isaiah 55 in verse one where it says, come all ye that are weary and thirsty and I'll give you drink. And Jesus echoes that in the gospels where he says this. He says, come all ye that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Always the invitation to come. One of my favorite passages when I do a funeral is in Revelation. The last two chapters of the book of Revelation are basically an invitation. And one of those verses says this. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who is thirsty come and drink of the water of life. It's a persistent invitation through the Bible. Walk with me, God says. I want you to know my presence. So Malachi chapter three addresses this. He wants us to experience his presence when it comes to our day-to-day and when it comes to your money. He also wants us to experience balance. In verse 10, we find this principle, this statute that you find throughout the scripture of bringing a portion to God. It says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. I want you to look at this for a moment 
before we get to the other aspect of it as a way God puts balance in your life. Have you ever noticed what happens when someone lives simply all unto themselves and everything they have and everything they do is about them and they never really have any time in their life, they never really have a way in their life where they respond to someone outside of themselves and so eventually it's all about them. Israel had become that way. They had withheld from God tithes and offerings and so all of a sudden Israel was all about destination and nothing about God. God's commands, God's statutes, all that God has asked of us is always about balancing our lives out where we literally do nothing without acknowledging him. Where we literally do not spend money without acknowledging him as a provider. And God puts balance in our life through these principles in the scripture of tithes and offerings. And God's always done that. For example, if you go to the Garden of Eden again, book of Genesis, you've got Adam and Eve, and at the very onset of creation, after he creates man and woman, he says, of any tree of the Garden of Eden, you can eat freely except this one. I'm withholding this one from you, don't touch it, because the day you eat of it, you shall die. And of course, the propensity of sin and Adam and Eve led them to be tempted by Satan and to give in to that. But God had reserved that portion away from them and for himself. And they lost the balance. And they lost, really, their walk with God. He had to come and redeem them, which he does freely. God has always reserved something for himself. And all the way when you go through Scripture, the word offering, the word altar, the word sacrifice, always indicates a portion or a proportion that God asks of us. Read the book of Genesis. You'll find a portion of the field and the livestock should be brought to God. I was interested last week to read through uh, Genesis and see the Ark of the Covenant, or rather the Ark of Noah, the Ark that Noah built. And after it was all over with and the flood waters receded and the, the Ark came down back on the mountain, the first thing Noah did when he got off that Ark is worship God. And he took one of all the animals and all the birds and he sacrificed them to the Lord. Now think about the value and the treasure of those few that he had saved from the flood in order to populate the earth again. And yet he took one of those and gave them to the Lord. The equivalent of about a seventh of what he had saved in the ark, he gave to the Lord. The principle of the spoils of war in the Old Testament where you were to bring one-tenth and give that to the Lord. Always a portion of what we've been blessed with, a proportion of our increase. And it's about balance. It's about saying, God, all that I have and all that I've been blessed with is not because of me, it's because of you. But wait a minute, you say, I worked for it with my time. Yes, and God gave you your time. But wait a minute, it was with my mind and with my sharp uh, intellect that allowed me to have this job. Yes, and God gave you your intellect. Or well, maybe it was because of the networking I did and some people I knew. Yes, and God let you know those people. He opened that door for you. Literally, if you look at your life under the microscope, nothing happens in your life apart from God allowing it all to work together for good. God is a prevalent part of our lives. And so it's so important for us to have the balance of recognizing that when it comes to our finances and it comes to our acknowledging him in our giving. He wants us to know balance. He also wants us to know his faithfulness. You know, one of the greatest things I've ever experienced in my Christian life is to see the faithfulness of God in providing for my family. We have six kids, and I remember when we were young, people would say things like, uh, do you know what causes those kids? And, and really, you know, 
that's really one of those statements where you don't know really what to say. Yes, we know what causes children. Yes, we do know. And we have sex intentionally. We, we do know how to do that. Or they'll say, how are you going to afford them? How are you going to take care of them? And always the question about provision. Or they'll say something like, are you going to overpopulate the earth? You know, it's getting kind of crowded out there. Ridiculous things to say. But always the things that we had in mind are, God, how are we going to take care of our family? How are we going to provide? And over the years, God has provided for us in such amazing ways. Here's what I want you to hear today. I want you to hear that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what dilemma you may face, or no matter what size family you have, no matter what kind of financial challenges you face, God is able to be faithful and to meet your need. And that's part of what this passage is all about. He wants you to know his faithfulness. Look at the statement I'm about to give you. God wants us to see his direct provision unexplained by anything else. Unexplained by anything else. The last part of verse 10 is a great portion of scripture here. He says in the first part of verse 10, bring the whole tithe into a storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Do you know that this is the only time in the Bible that the scripture says that we're to test God? And that literally this is God speaking to the prophet saying, test me. Let me prove this to you. Let me demonstrate for you that I can open up the windows of heaven and provide for you a blessing that you can't even receive. I love to tell the story of Kim and I a number of years ago. It was some 25 or more years ago now, almost, uh, I think the year was 1996. And in 1996, it's almost 30 years ago now, we, um, we had six kids. We were wondering how God was going to provide. I became pastor of a church in Irving, Texas, and this church was in a lot of debt when we arrived. And so one of the things that we were led to do is to lead our church to get out of debt. And, um, and one of the things that I believe God was laying on my heart was to uh, contribute a significant amount of money to lead the way. So my wife and I prayed about this. We had a certain number in mind and we were going to give this to God on a regular basis through our church to retire that debt and to lead others to do it. Well, part of the problem that we faced at that time was that um, I didn't have many suits and I moved from Oklahoma to Texas and it was uh, incumbent that I dressed well on Sunday mornings, a little different 30 years ago and what you wore, you almost had to wear suits all the time. Can you imagine a life where you had to wear a tie every week? That'd be awful, wouldn't it, to do that? But I had that kind of thing on me then and all kinds of things uh, related to your, your wardrobe. And I, I'm a guy that doesn't like to shop for clothes at all. And I know it costs lots of money. So I thought, Lord, you're leading me to do something with my finances that will prevent me from doing what I'd planned to do, and that is to buy some clothes, to upgrade the wardrobe, and that kind of thing. And the Lord just led us to give it. Not long after that, a friend of mine in Tennessee called me, and he was a pastor. And he said, John, if you're ever in this area, I want you to stop by. I've got some suits I think will fit you. I thought, well, what a great blessing. So my friend's name was uh, Wayne Barber, pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we were going to the Southern Baptist Convention not long after that. We were going to drive that direction, stop at his church on a Sunday morning. He said, I've got something to give you. So we packed the kids up in the Suburban. If you've ever taken a vacation with six kids, you know there's no room for anything except the kids and their, and their, uh, their suitcases, right? There's not much room, but I reserved some space for, for a few suits. Got to the church, Wayne preached the message. After the message, he pulled his car up next to ours and he reached into the back of his suburban and grabbed three or four suits and handed them to me. And man, they were great looking tailor-made suits. He had just eaten too much. He'd been blessed too much. He outgrew them and so he was gonna give them to me. 
And you know, it's really rare when you're 6'5", you weigh about 240 pounds, and somebody else is that size and has outgrown their suits and they want to give them to you. I mean, that just doesn't happen. It's happened once in my lifetime. So he gave me three or four suits. I put them in the back of the car there, shut the door. He said, hey, wait, I'm not through. So I opened it back up and he gave me three or four more. And I shut, he said, I'm not through. Just leave it open, John. And he did this over and over. Finally, they were so stuffed into the back that I didn't worry about keeping them free of creases anymore. I just stuffed them in and finally kind of had to push it hard. He goes, I've got more. What are you going to do with them? So I crawled over the front seat, then the back seat, and then over the third seat and kept stuffing clothes in that way. And he kept giving me and giving me and giving me. Well, Kim and I were overwhelmed with that. We got in the car. We went to the hotel we were spending the night in, and I decided to get them out and hang them in the closet and see what we had. And there were thousands and thousands of dollars worth of suits and shirts and slacks and ties. It was amazing. Put them on this wooden dowel in this closet. Went to bed thanking the Lord. In the middle of the night, there was this loud boom. My wife woke me up and I went into the closet and the rod had broken. It was so heavy that the rod had broken. All those suits were on the floor. We went back and calculated something like five or $6,000 worth of clothes that God had provided for us. And I kid you not, in the middle of the night in the hotel room when that rod had broken and I was awakened, the first thing that came to my mind was Malachi chapter three, verse 10. See if I will not pour out a blessing for you which you cannot receive. I wore those suits for 20 years after that day. I still got a couple of them in my closet, but now I've eaten so well that I can't wear them anymore. <laughs> and I'm looking for some other young men to give them to, really amazing. You know, I learned you cannot outgive God. And what God wants to do is he wants to provide for us if we'll acknowledge him, if we'll live a life of balance, a life of generosity, God will always meet our needs. And we've learned that over and over and over as a family. Years ago, I remember counseling with a family who had been being counseled by an accountant who told them there's no way you can give the way you want to give to your church and still make your ends meet. So what you've got to do is to simply cut out your giving to the church and giving to the Lord and focus on your own finances for a while. And then maybe later on you can do that. And this couple came to me and said, what do we do? And I said, well, let's look at the Bible and let's pray. And then I'll let you decide what you think you should do. The CPA had told them, he said, I'd stake my professional reputation on the fact that you're not going to make it if you give to God. And so I just left the decision in their hands, of course, which is exactly what the Lord does. He gives us that principle and he says, you choose what you're going to do. And so they did. They chose to begin giving to, to the Lord and they began to be faithful. And at the end of the year, they came to me and they said, you would not believe what's happened. Our books are now balancing. Things are going well. We're so thankful. We don't even need the account anymore. So we let him go because God is enough to provide all we need. That's just the way it works. That's the way God's faithfulness is demonstrated when we learn to give to God as God calls us to live. How many of you remember the miracle that took place here at First Shulis? Would you raise your hand? For those of you that don't know what that word means, the miracle was a season of life in which this church was just almost $7 million in debt with no plan for repayment. And at that time, there was no pastor here. And the, the uh, interim pastor, a wonderful man named uh, Dr. Will, Bill Anderson began to challenge the people to believe God for the miraculous. And in, in a space of about 28 months, that debt was repaid. And during the course of that time, people just began to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I to give? And they began to ask the Lord, Lord, uh, what's my part in this overall debt? 
And then, Lord, would you bless us so that we can take care of this and we can see this church thrive. And in that 28 months, that prayer was prayed and people gave. And one of the letters that came out of that time was this letter I'm about to read to you, written by a single woman. It starts by saying, even the crumbs from God's table are more than we can ever imagine. She said, I don't have a problem paying tithes, but the last part of the year, 2003 and 2004, some 14, 15 years ago now, we were having a challenging time making ends meet in my house. The devil kept coming at me and saying, you know, God would understand if you use your tithes to pay your bills. God doesn't expect or want you to struggle this much, etc." Several weeks this went on in my life. But during that pay period, I believed that God was leading me to trust him and I doubled my tithes to the church. Now, this is something that she just felt led to do. And then she said the very next weekend, there was an announcement at the church that for that month only, the church was asking people to double their tithes. That was in 2003 and four. And then she said, how about that for a confirmation? I'd done this for about five months when I received a check in the mail that was more than double all my tithe that I'd paid since I started giving double. Wow, the money I received was from mineral rights on land I'd owned, and of course, the value of of that has skyrocketed, she said. Then the next month, I received a check for almost $2,000 from something that wasn't receiving anything before, and I was so shocked, I just kept looking at the check. I know that you cannot outgive God. And then she goes on and summarizes what happened from there. She says, the most I have ever received is $19,000 a month from something I was receiving nothing in before. That is so much for a little single female that God takes care of. And then here was her words. She says, and I'm gonna quote her exactly, if this keeps up, I'm going to have to get me one of them their financial advisors. (laughs) Clearly that doesn't happen every time. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says, and I'm telling you that God is faithful. How many of you have experienced the the faithfulness of God in your giving? Would you raise your hand if you've experienced that? So many of us have. And what Malachi is saying is return to the Lord and let him show you that. Because what God wants to give you is so much more than what he asks from you. Finally, he wants to give us his protection, his protection. You see the next line, verse 11, it says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. This is an agricultural era. People saw provision through their fields and through what they had planted. And basically, rebuking the devourer deals with keeping what destroys plants and fruits away. But I have observed over the years there's a natural breakdown of things and there's an inference that there is an enemy out there, a devourer. It doesn't take long for us to read the Bible and get into the New Testament where we realize that there is a devourer whose name is Satan. He's often called a robber and a thief by the Lord Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 10 and verse eight, the Bible says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And then he said, the thief comes only to rob and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So we know there's a devourer out there, but the reality is the curse of sin, the curse of the earth and the enemy sometimes have open seasons on our finances without God's protection. And so what God wants for us is to protect us from that. With God's protection, the devourer is rebuked. I remember reading this text to an old farmer who was in a church that I first pastored in Oklahoma. He had a big farm outside of town. He was always working the fields. His name was Orla Ratliff. One of those salt of the earth kind of guys, an amazing man an older man, and he said, Pastor, when I read that text, here's what I think about. 
He said, I think about the th things that come in and eat up my field if the Lord doesn't hold them back. And I've tried spraying the crops and I try to do everything to keep them from devouring my crops, but only the Lord can hold them back. And here's what he said, I'm gonna quote him. He said, the Hessian fly, the green bug, and the grasshopper, I can't keep them away. Only God can hold them back. And so it keeps me on my knees praying to God and asking for God's faithfulness and protection to hold back those devourers so that I can have a profit and I can have a field full of food at the end of the season. And I looked at that and I thought that must have been what those were thinking about in that day and time. But God knows everything that we need and everything we have needs protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, is an amazing verse. It's about the children of Israel who wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And God speaks to them one day in that verse and then says, I've led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your food, I mean, your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandal has not worn out on your foot the whole 40 years. Now, I can hear men in the congregation going, amen to that. And I could hear women going, oh me, man, that'd be a horrible existence to have to go 40 years without buying one new piece of clothing or not having one new set of shoes in my closet. But here's what God does. God says, I'll keep the devourer from devouring if you'll keep balance and if you'll continue to acknowledge me in your life. I've watched this happen in various ways, not just shoes and clothes, but everything in life. I want to tell you something today. God wants something for you beyond what you can even imagine. And you know what God asks from us? God asks from us something simple. He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Get this phrase. Let this phrase be the phrase you're thinking of. God wants us to acknowledge him as our God and to worship and honor him with our giving. And I'm going to go over every word there. God wants us to acknowledge him as our God. Now, I want you to think about what happens when you get a paycheck. I wish paychecks floated down out of heaven. As it is, they're probably deposited directly in your bank account, or maybe you're given a paper check still. But I wish they floated down out of heaven so you could remember, God, everything I have and everything you've given me has allowed me to get this paycheck. You've kept employers solvent that I may have a job. You've opened doors for me that I couldn't open on my own. And when we receive paychecks, it's important for us to be able to say, you know, that came from God. It may have my employer's name on it, but I know who ultimately is King and Lord over the entire universe, that he is God. So it comes from God. I want you to remember to honor the Lord with everything he gives you. And then the second part of that line is equally important. Worship and honor him with our giving. Now, we know that we do that through tithes and offerings. That's the purpose of this text right here. You've robbed me with tithes and offerings. What is a tithe? A tithe is simply a word that means the tenth part. It means to bring a tenth part into the storehouse of the Lord. Offerings are something that we give that are above and beyond that as we're led. Sometimes God allows us to see need in people around us and we give to them. Sometimes family members have needs and we give to them. Sometimes we see special ministries that rise up and we want to give to them. But the tithe you bring into the storehouse. Now let me be very clear about this today. The storehouse in the Old Testament was the temple. The equivalent in the New Testament is the church. For us to take what is God's and give to some other ministry that may be a gospel-centered ministry is still to rob God. It's still to withhold from God 
what we've been asked to do, to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I have a lot of ministries that I support and love doing it. A lot of people I support. But I'm not gonna take from what the Lord has provided for me to give to him in order to give to someone else as important or as good as that ministry might be. And so we honor the Lord with our tithes and with our offerings and we see all these things enacted in our life. Here's the deal. God provides everything we have and he asks us to keep the 90% and be wise with it. But he also wants us to put him first when it comes to giving that first tenth. Let me share with you some scripture that reminds us of that. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10, a wonderful passage. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce, not the last, not the middle part, but the first of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now that's not just an Old Testament uh, promise or principle. It's an entire Bible that speaks to that. What about Matthew chapter six, verse 20, where Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says in verse 33 of the same text, which really deals with finances and money, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses one and two, set the priority for the church at Corinth and the other churches in a letter that's designed to be read to all. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches at Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, that would be Sunday, I want you to take aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be taken when I come. Paul says, week by week as you worship, bring your tithes and offerings to your church. Give them so that when I come as an apostle, I don't have to ask you to return and I don't have to ask you to catch up or to do what you should have been doing. Do it as a regular manner of your life. As you dig into those words, you see the idea of proportion. Give a proportion of what God has prepared for you. And the only proportion the Bible speaks of uh, clearly when it comes to giving is the tenth. When I was a little boy, my mom and dad gave me an allowance. And that allowance was a whole dollar every week. I was about six years of age and they began to give me a dollar a week. Now, I, I have to tell you, when I was growing up, a dollar would go a long way. How many of you remember those days, huh? where there was actually a store called the five and dime. That meant you could buy things. You could actually buy something for a nickel in those days, a nickel or a dime, five and dime. And those were great stores, man, filled with candy and all kinds of fun, cool stuff. And, and so a dollar would go a long way in that day. But my dad, when he would give me my allowance, would give it to me in dimes. Not quarters, not a dollar bill. He would give me 10 dimes. He would go through all the trouble of going somewhere and getting those 10 dimes. And he was sitting in front of me, in front of my brother, 10 dimes each. And the reason he did that was to teach me how simple it could be to simply take a tenth of that and give it to the Lord. And so I got my allowance on Saturday and he told me on Sunday when we go to worship, you take one of those dimes. He said, I'm gonna leave that up to you, but I'm gonna tell you, this is what God has taught us and what God has shown us and it's what the scripture says, so I want you to start doing that. And I, I've literally been tithing since I was like six years old. And I've always been impressed by how God provides and meets our needs. Always been impressed for the reality of what he asks from us is so small and what he has for us is so big. In fact, that's really the reason I have two pulpits today. I've done this before, I'm gonna do it again because I want you to see exactly what it looks like for us to see what God has for us and what God asks from us. So for these next couple of minutes, I wanna kinda unpack this whole thing and 
in this basket here, I've got all kinds of fruit that I'm gonna put out in front of you. I've got some bananas, I've got some apples, oranges, pears. I had to have my, my wife explain to me the difference between a peach and a nectarine last night in the grocery store, but we got it down right, and I've got some of those. And uh, as I unpack these, I've got 10 of each kind of those. And as I unpack these, I want you to notice all this represents God's provision for us and God's giving us what he wants us to have. And I have to tell you, as time goes on, that we recognize God provides an awful lot for us. If you could go back and detail all the many times that you've seen God provide for you and the abundance in which it's done, if you can go back and think about even the times when you did not respond wisely to God's provision, sometimes that money's gone away quickly. But that wasn't God that made it go away quickly. It was you that made those decisions that were unwise and unbalanced. The reality is God has been a steadfast provider for us. God provides so much for us. And I want you to see today that, that provision is so generous that it really overflows in our life. And my personal testimony is he's provided so much that I really have no way of being able to fully account all that God has blessed us with. I am so thankful, I really am. I'm grateful because God is a great provider. So as I spread this fruit around, I want you to think about your own life and how that happens with you, how God has worked in your life as a result of that. And then I want you to notice what God has for you. God has for us so much. And then God asks from us a very small amount. In fact, I'm gonna take one apple. I'm gonna take one of each. Here's a pair an orange in here. This is what God has for us. This is what God asks from us. And you know, I have to tell you, when people say, you know, God just asks so much of us, I'm not sympathetic. The reason I'm not sympathetic is I can do the math. I can look at the picture. Let me look at this from your side. Yep, it looks the same from your side as it does from mine. <laughs> God asks so little from us. He asks so much for us, he gives so much for us. How many of you would agree this morning that that's true, mathematically and physically? Would you agree with me? Just kind of clap if you think God wants so much for you. So since that's true, to resent the God of our, provide, of our provision for asking something from us is not reasonable. Not only is it not reasonable, it's unbalanced because here's the one who's brought it all. Now, of this, there are so many different directions this can go in. I could find a friend who has a need, and this goes to them. I could see a ministry that needs supporting that can go to them, and I can go on and on through this. We're to bless people in so many different ways, but we're to bring God's tithe into the storehouse to the church. And when that happens, God works in supernatural ways through the church as well. Uh, something I've kind of held back from you that I'm going ahead and give it to you, even though we're running a little long this morning. I want you to look at one more verse, and many of you in this room will be very, very blessed by this verse. Look at verse 12. He says, All the nations of the world will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now think with me. Those of you that have been around for a while, think with me about this. This church is 115 years old. And over the course of our history, we've seen God bless in so many supernatural ways 
that don't you realize the entire community looks around at us and they say that is a blessed congregation. Not only have we been blessed in what God has provided for us, but we've been blessed in what we've sent out. Ministries sent out, missionaries sent out. We feed whole communities today through one of those ministries. We share the gospel in state after state after state with another. We're in schools through Kids Beach Clubs in the same way. We have apartment ministries that are funded in part by the people out of this church. Nobody can look at this church and say, oh, those financial principles just don't work for them. We are a church that's debt-free. We are a church that's mission-minded. We are a church that's changing the world through our financial practices and touching lives all over the world. If that's not God showing favor, then I don't know what is when it comes to finances. So here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to do what the people of Malachi's day did. We don't want to rob God. Because when we rob God, we rob him of blessing us with his presence. We rob him of demonstrating his faithfulness. We rob him of making our church blessed so that even the nations of the world around us recognize it. We rob him of rebuking the devourer. And he wants to do all those things for us. What God wants for you is so much bigger than what he asks from you. You know the big question today that I want to leave you with? And that's this question. What is God telling you to do in order to return to him with your worship and with your possessions? Not what did the pastor tell me to do? Not sign some card anywhere. Just what is God telling you to do in order to return to him with your worship and with your possessions? I want to tell you today, if you answer that question wisely and biblically, it'll be a blessed day for you in many, many ways. This is not prosperity teaching. This is obedience teaching. This is what it means to walk with God with his presence, experiencing his provision, knowing his protection, and knowing that he's at work through your finances as well as he has every other part of your life. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for your gracious time that you've given today. I'm gonna ask our prayer counselors to come to the front as we begin to close. As they come, I wanna remind our guests today that we have a guest reception room. I'd love to visit with you just outside the center exit doors and across the hallway. I'll be there to share with you some things about our church today. And before I lead in this final prayer, I wanna encourage you to know that our ushers are standing at the door as they do every week. While we do not do a passing of the offering plate on our Sunday morning services, the ways to give are many. You can give on your way out the door as these ushers stand there faithfully, just waiting for that, and guest cards that you may have that you'd like to place there if you're a guest. There are offering boxes everywhere. This is one of the ways that you obey the Lord. Some people give online so many ways to directly respond in obedience to the teaching of Malachi. Having said all that, let me say this. At the heart, God's not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. Did you hear that? He wants your heart. You know what I've discovered over the years? I've discovered when my heart is far from God, so is my money. But I've also discovered when my heart is close to God, so is my money. <laughs> because then I recognize, God, I know who you are. I know what you're doing in my life. I know how you provided. I have no, no struggle saying I want to return tithes and offerings to you. 
These are yours. Thank you so much. That's where I want you to be. In just a moment, I'm gonna have a stand and I'm gonna ask you a question. Is your heart with God? Today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, listen, that's the place to start. That's the place to start. This is the command that God gives to his people. Are you one of his? And I wanna urge you today, if you feel in any way that you're not one of his, come and put your faith, your trust in Christ, who forgives us of our sin, who gives us the gift of eternal life on the basis of his shed blood on the cross. He's done everything to draw you to him. And the invitation to you is to come, come to him. For those that have already come to him, the answer of return to me. And what does that mean? That's what you need to be thinking about today. These standing at the front will be here to answer your questions and pray with you today as we have this closing word of prayer. Let's stand together. Father, I want to thank you today for the amazing text we have. And I thank you today that we have an opportunity to give to you. That's not just now, but it's in our everyday life. And we ask you, Father, to help us to understand what this means, how it works, and to freely and graciously give back as you have so generously given to us. Your generosity, God, is what prompts us to respond in the same way to you. Father, I ask you today to move in the hearts of every person because the heart is first. Lord, touch our hearts. Help us follow you. I thank you for this, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.